I proclaim to you this afternoon the word of our God as it comes to us in Luke and Ezekiel, as the church has summarized it and we together confess it in Lord's Day 47 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 47, and here we repeat after God what we have heard the Lord teach us in his word. What is the first petition? Hallowed be your name. That is, grant us first of all that we may rightly know you and sanctify, glorify, and praise you in all your works in which shine forth your almighty power, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth. Grant us also that we may so direct our whole life, our thoughts, words, and actions, that your name is not blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. In response to this sermon, we sing hymn 13, the stanzas 3 and 4. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is in the Latin language the expression well known to the older, I would think, ora et labora. Translates as pray and work. I would ask you to notice the order of that phrase, pray and work. It's in us, congregation to be activists as if things depend on our actions perhaps it's part of the zeal of youth we've got energy so get your shoulders behind it get at it otherwise it's not going to get done and without a doubt we are to work it is the Lord's command and work diligently But Jesus' instruction congregation is that prayer comes first. So much so that prayer is to have a primary place in our lives, as in we can't accomplish anything without prayer. Whatever is worthy in God's kingdom requires that foundation, prayer. I summarize the sermon then with this theme, God's children ask the Father to hallow his name. I ask your attention for three points. The first is the setting of this petition. The second is the meaning of this petition. And finally, the answer to this petition. Peter. Judas, James, Thaddeus, Matthew, the rest were common people like you and me. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. So we will not be far out to assume that his disciples would give or take also that age bracket. Some were married, some were not. Some had their own business, 
Peter, James, John were fishermen, Levi, tax collector. Others had to work for a living. My point is they were normal people engaged in the same sorts of things that you and I would be engaged in. It came the day that Jesus of Nazareth appeared and called them one after the other to come, follow me. And lo, it's what they did. They left their jobs. They left their security. And they went and followed this man of Nazareth. As they followed him, they saw much. They heard much. Like what? Luke chapter 6 speaks about the sermon Jesus had on the plain. The disciples listened. They heard Jesus declaring, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. They heard Jesus teach, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. They heard so much more of his instruction. And it formed them, it was meant to form them in their thinking. They saw much too. Chapter 7 begins with the accounts of the centurion, this Roman who had faith, a faith scarcely surpassed in Israel. It carries on with the accounts, chapter 7, verse 11, of Jesus going to the town of Nain. His disciples accompanied him, as did, we note, a crowd. And what does Jesus do? Raises a dead man. Can you imagine the dead, alive, a mother, relieved? No wonder crowds kept following Jesus. So much so that chapter 8 can record in verse 4, a large crowd was gathering. People were coming to Jesus from town to town. One after the other. What a man to be with, Jesus of Nazareth. Ever heard of anyone like him before? The disciples listened to his teaching. The parable of the sower. Watch him at work. The storm at sea. Chapter 8, verse 22. Jesus can walk on the water. Jesus can still the storm. Be still. And the wind's quiet. Unreal. What a man this is. Chapter 8 continues with the anecdotes in the region of the Gerasenes where this demoniac meets Jesus. But all these demons are cast out of him. A legion of them. And the pigs on the hillside get filled with the demons and rush down the slope and drown. What a power. What a man this Jesus is. And then, chapter 9. Jesus calls the twelve together. 
Peter and James and John and Thaddeus and Matthew and the rest. And he gives them power and authority to go drive out demons themselves. Cure the sick. Can you imagine? The privilege. Getting out there and touching people's lives the way Jesus does. That's how the twelve can do it too now. Exciting times, no? Here's change for society. And the disciples are allowed to be involved. Front line people. The more you read through Luke, the more you recognize the disciples and Jesus. They've got momentum with them. They're on a roll. Look at chapter 9. Verse 11, there's a reference there. Crowds learned about where Jesus was, and there they come. They follow him. Verse 17, multiplication of the loaves. And each of the disciples gets to walk away with a basket of it. On to something, all right. You know what? It's worth leaving our jobs. Following this Jesus... This is exciting indeed. Things happening in Israel won't be long when the Romans will be gone. And it's true that Jesus also gives his warnings. He says in chapter 9, verse 22, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. He must be killed. On the third day be raised to life. That's the downside, isn't it? And Jesus continues, verse 23, He said to them all, the twelve, If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That's the not nice side, right? But keep reading. And we find so much more of excitement. Things are good. Chapter 10, Jesus appoints 72 others to accompany the 12. The 12 see the 72 go out two by two, and they have to go out themselves and preach and teach and heal. And after a while, the 72 come back. Verse 17, they come back with joy and they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Yes, exciting. And Jesus replies, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Satan. He realizes, Jesus says, that we've got momentum here. And so he's leaving heaven where he thought he ought to be. And he's coming to earth to where the action is. He's going to spearhead the response. The counteroffensive. But not a worry, as far as the disciples are concerned. If Jesus is with us, he can raise the dead, he can still the storm, he can multiply the loaves. We're on to something here. In congregation, we read this, and we envy the disciples' position. We're Canadians. We love our land. 
We'd love to see this sort of enthusiasm for the gospel in Canada, this sort of growth of the kingdom of God. And if some of we could be involved in that, why wouldn't that be neat? We begin to wonder, how can we ever organize something like this for Canada? Could we do it? Why do I tell you this? Because, congregation, in the midst of this momentum and excitement is chapter 11, verse 1. Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And then you would think that Jesus would say, pray? Come on, men, we've got work to do. There's demons to cast out. There's sick to heal. There's lots to do. Isn't that what you would expect? What's Jesus' answer? Verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. The rest of the prayer continues. Father, okay, We understand that. God is your covenant father. You can talk to him. But why, congregation, why is the first petition what it is? Why does Jesus not say, yes, okay, you need to pray, but then ask the father, put more demons on your path, you can cast more out. Why doesn't Jesus say, father... Let there be lots and lots of pagans, of Israelites who don't believe in you even, Romans. Put them on our path, let them hear the gospel, let us do a big sign, and they will all be converted and follow you too. Why didn't they say that? And Jesus doesn't even say, disciples, when you pray, ask God for daily bread. That's not first. Forgive us our sins. That's not first. Not even we praise you, Lord, for what all you've done in Christ so far. But first is, you want to pray? Then say this, Father, hallowed be your name. That's Jesus' instruction congregation right in the midst of the disciples' momentum. When they're on a roll, Jesus says, pray. Hallowed be your name. And we wonder, why? Why is that what they're meant to pray? Is that what we're meant to pray? Brings us to our second point, the meaning of this petition. The words themselves are straightforward enough, I trust. Hallowed be your name. The pronoun your refers to the Father, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. The Father is the almighty creator of the beginning who upholds the universe, who is your father in Jesus Christ, the God of the covenants who made you his child. That says Jesus to the twelve and to you and to me. That's who you pray to. The other word, hallowed be your name, That's the word name does not refer to what the father is called, father or God, but it refers to your reputation. 
What's your name in the community? You have a good name in the community? Right? What's your reputation? The final word, hallowed, catches the notion of being holy. Being holy is set apart, special, unique, different. That's the thrust of the prayer. Hallowed be your name means disciples, Peter, James, Thaddeus, the rest of you, ask the Father to work that his reputation be unique throughout Galilee, throughout Judea, around the world. Pray that he give his own name great ratings in the community. Again, we hear that and we're surprised. The disciples are on a roll. Isn't God's name great in the community already? Because of all that's happening in Jesus' life. Then why pray this? On top of that, the formulation here is striking. We're used to it. Hallowed be your name. Heard it so often. But tell me, who's meant to do the hallowing? Why does Jesus not say to the disciples, Ask God, strengthen us, Father, that we may hallow your name. Or, Father, give Jesus here all the strength that he needs to hallow your name. To increase your reputation in the community. Why the passive verb, hallowed be your name? And no mention of who does the hallowing. Why is that? In that congregation is because Jesus would teach his disciples to be humble, even as you and I are to be humble. What do I mean by that? This. What congregation is the intent of prayer? Prayer is directed to God, to God's glory, as in it is God who has promised to answer prayer, yes, promised to do what he said he would do. And what is prayer then? This, that we are to pray God's own promises into existence. When Jesus speaks about hallowing the Father's name, he is hooking into precisely the promise of God of Ezekiel 36. And I invite you to turn to that chapter and have a look at it. Ezekiel 36, the people of Israel, as I said before, are in exile in Babylon. Now, why are they in exile? Verse 17. This is what the prophet has to say. Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, that's before the exile then, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. Their conduct was like a woman's monthly uncleanness in my sight, repulsive to God. So, 18, I poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land and because they defiled themselves with their idols. I dispersed among the nations. 
exile. But what's the result of Israel's exile? Verse, 19, uh, verse 20, wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. There's God's reputation, right? His name. Israel in exile is profaning the name. How? Because it's said by the nations, <laughs> these are the Lord's people. Yet they had to leave the land. That living God who could open up the Red Sea. Baal couldn't do that. Moloch couldn't do that. None of the gods could do that. But Yahweh could. But he couldn't hold on to his people. They lost the promised land. And therein, God's name was not honored. His reputation wasn't upheld in the community. On the contrary, his reputation was blasphemed in the community. So, what does the Lord do? Look at the words of verse 21. I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations. And therefore, verse 22, say to the house of Israel, this is the sovereign Lord says, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to do what things? Bring them back. But, verse 22, for the sake of my holy name, which you profaned, 23, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. The name you profaned. Notice the formulation. I will show the holiness of my great name. Do you hear in that word, congregation, the first petition? Here's the promise. In the face of Israel's sins, I will show the holiness of my name. And now there's Jesus, and he says to the disciples, you want to pray? Then pray first this, hallowed be your name. Father, you have promised to show the holiness of your name. Please, Father, do it. That is prayer, praying the Father's own promises into existence. That, by the way, is why Lord's Day 45 asks what belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him. And the answer is, first, we must from the heart call upon the one true God, only to have his word, for all he's commanded us to pray. Would it pray his promises back to him in the fixed expectation that the Father will answer? He'll do what he said he would do. Now, how exactly would the Father hallow his own name? That's verse 24 of Ezekiel 36. I'll take you out of the nations. I'll gather you from the countries. I'll bring you back to your own land. More, 25. I'll spring a clean water on you. Forgiveness of sins. Still more, 26. I'll give you a new heart. Verse 27. But my spirit's in you. Here's regeneration, sanctification. God's people will be changed. And the results of their being changed is that God's reputation will be talked up in the community. Point. It is not about people. 
It is not about me. It is not about you. It is all about God. He's the creator. Made the world for his namesake. He's God. And he will have mercy on undeserving sinners for the sake of his reputation. There is no way Israel itself in exile could salvage anything of God's reputation. There was no way Israel themselves could bring about their return out of exile. There's no way they could accomplish God's work. Only God was mighty to do it, and that's his promise. He promises to show the holiness of his great name. Well, now there's the disciples. What do you think? Could the disciples accomplish more than the saints of the Old Testament? Could they show up the holiness of God's name more than Israel could in the past? We're inclined to say, well, yes, they're on a roll. There's lots of good things happening to the work of the disciples. But turn then again, beloved, to Luke chapter 9, verse 46. What's in the heart of the disciples? An argument started amongst the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Selfishness. Doing it for themselves. And how is Peter's selfishness and James's selfishness and Thaddeus's and Levi's and the rest, how is that going to increase God's standing in the community? Will it? Jesus knew what made his disciples tick. He also knew what was going to happen down the track. He knew that Mrs. Zebedee would come to Jesus one day and say, My two sons, Lord, James and John, can they sit when he right and when he left in your kingdom? Selfishness. Jesus knew in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was arrested, the disciples would fall asleep. Fight for him? Sleep. They're too weak. When he'd be arrested, they'd flee. Fight for him? They're chickens. And Peter? He'd deny him three times. The disciples? They might today be on a roll, but they are weak, finite, sinful men. Have no backbone. Inherence in them is a thing of themselves. And when opposition arises, they collapse. Shall they pray? Father, give us more demons to cast out. Is that going to help? But there's another thing, congregation, to bear in mind here. Jesus himself never misstepped, never misspoke. Did his influence 
glorify God. As in, on account of him did the community praise God the more. Well, initially, the crowds followed Jesus, all right. But soon enough, the crowds, the crowds are fed up with Jesus. So much so, the day came that the crowds called out to crucify, crucify him. My point is, even a perfect speaker, Jesus himself, could not change society. Make society glorify God. God alone can do that. That is why, beloved, Jesus did not tell his disciples to skip prayer in favor of preaching, in favor of teaching, in favor of healing, though they must work. They are to pray, but they have to confess their own weakness. They have to confess their inability. Only God can change society. People can't. And that is why they must pray that way in the passive formulation, Father, hallowed be your name. In other words, you, Father, do the hallowing. You promised you would do it, because we can't. We recognize that's a very different sort of language than the enthusiasm we pick up as we read Luke 7 through 11 and the momentum the disciples had. It brings us to our last point, the answer to this petition. We may, I think, take for granted, though Scripture doesn't say so, that after Jesus told his disciples what to pray, hallowed be your name, they actually went and did it. How did the Father answer their first petition? Did he answer it? We like to think the answer is yes, and indeed, the Father does answer, but so differently than we think he ought to. Look at the evidence. The disciples pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Result? Within months, the crowds of Jerusalem and of Judea are crying out, crucify, crucify him. They pray, hallowed be your name. And Peter denies him. Congregation, what do you think? Does that increase God's reputation in the community? More, Jesus himself, though he drove out demons, though he raised the dead, though he multiplied loaves, though he stilled the storm, was crucified and didn't get off the cross. Isn't Satan on a roll now? Satan triumphant, Jesus dead. Isn't it clear praying doesn't help? The first petition doesn't get you anywhere. Isn't it better just to roll up your sleeves to get to work? Things depend on you, don't they? 
Look then, congregation. Through Jesus' crucifixion, through his rejection by man and God, Satan was defeated. Sin was atoned for. Sinners reconciled to God. And that's to say, Jesus' rejection, Jesus' crucifixion was congregation, was God's answer to the disciples' first petition. They pray, Father, hallowed be your name. And how does God do it? How does he ensure his reputation's talked up in the community? He has his son crucified. And we say, how does that increase God's reputation in the community? Philippians chapter 2 says the apostle, because of Christ's triumph on the cross, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name, the reputation that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Can you imagine? There's his answer. And so I read too in Revelation chapter 5 of the songs being sung in heaven, the angels, the multitudes in heaven, glory to the Lamb, worthy he was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom. And the song is not restricted to heaven, but every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, all that's in them, they all sing together to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory forever and ever. Talk about talking up God's reputation in the community. Isn't that what we see too, the day of Pentecost? When that spirit mentioned in Ezekiel 36 is poured forth abundantly, 3,000 come to faith. And sometimes later, 5,000. What's the talk of Jerusalem? What was the newspapers full of? The ratings of sovereign God went through the roof. Hallowed be your name. And over the years... This is the word congregation that went forth over all the earth. That's what the Apostle Paul says, Colossians chapter 1. This is the gospel you heard of and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a minister. The passage of time. Constantine became emperor. A Christian. The word of God spread through Europe. The nation, the continents became Christian. Think of the great reformation. Think of the delightful effect that reformation had on North America. The culture of our land. Christian in its roots. Why? Because your father answered the prayers of the saints of long ago to hallow his name. This is the glorious gospel that is still being spread across the world. What's happening in China today? What's happening in Brazil? The word goes forth and people recognize who God is. The talk of the street. And you, you're allowed to be part of this. 
You know your God. Through you, His name is glorified. You believe. Because there are those who have prayed, hallowed be your name. Your God is at work in Canada, in Edmonton, and you are part of His work. Exciting? Delightful? Of course it is. And that's why we continue to pray. Father, hallowed be your name. We believe what you have said. You will magnify your name in this world. And so we pray you that you do it. Keep the promise you have voiced long ago. Grants us first of all that we may rightly know you. And then sanctify, glorify, and praise you in all your works. You are God. Will you, Lord, work mightily in us and in many to increase your ratings in the land? Ora et labora. Pray and work. It's in us to be activists We'll do the work. The Lord says, you can't. You don't have it in you to magnify God's name. That is God's department. So pray. And work. And that means concretely, begin your day with prayer. God gives you a place in this country. Here to work for his name, for his glory. You wish a blessing on that work? You wish progress in the coming of God's kingdom? Then begin with prayer. Seek his face. And lay your cares before him as in, Lord, you have promised to glorify your name in the the land. Do it. You are king of all the world, of Canada too. And so we pray, hallowed be your name, will you work sovereignly? And then use us, Father, to glorify you in Edmonton, in Alberta, in Canada, in the place that you give. Make us of service to you. Does he answer? Of course. He promised to. That's why he told us to pray. Not so the prayer would fall on deaf ears, but so that the Father would be asked to do what he's promised to do. So then, my brothers, my sisters, pray. Confidently. Persistently. And believe your God hears. Because he's your God. To him the praise, the glory, always.